so this morning we continue in our series, uh, Abraham, uh, a friend of God. And as usual, Hugh's done a phenomenal job just uh, unpacking chapter 12 and 13. Um, I will do a brief cap, uh, recap this morning just to catch us up to speed. Uh, and then I'll uh, unpack chapter 14 uh, very lightly this morning. Um, so uh, Abraham was a friend of God. The Bible tells us that Abraham uh, was a friend of God. Uh, to me, that means that Abraham spent a lot of time hanging out with God, if I can put it to you that way. And when you hang out with somebody a lot, uh, you tend to pick up stuff from them. And sometimes we would say that uh, uh, they rub off on you uh, a little bit. So keep that in mind uh, this morning as we look at Abraham, as we look how he responds and reacts uh, to God in some of the situations and circumstances uh, that he faces. Uh, so the account of Abraham starts with this encountering uh, of the God of the universe. Um, it was like Abraham caught a glimpse of him. And this is dangerous, right? And it's dangerous because if we do catch a glimpse of God, we can never be the same again. And we will be radically changed uh, forever. Uh, there's a couple examples in the Bible. You look at Paul on the road to Damascus. He encounters Jesus and his life is radically changed forever. Uh, Peter, out on a boat fishing, encounters Jesus. Radically changed forever. Even Hugh, I've known Hugh for 10 years, radically changed. What he does with his time, how he spends his money, what he dreams for, where he lives, where he goes on vacation, is radically different and has been radically changed sort of through the years. So it's sort of like Abraham was like this, he encounters God, he's undone and radically changed uh, from that point. So James illustrated this point a little last week when he, when he talked about Isaiah's encounter uh, with God through the vision. Through that vision, he was undone as uh, the revelation of who God uh, was set before him. And then James went on to expand a little bit more on that uh, as he defined how, um, how God calls us and how he gathers and then how he sends. Uh, so God declares this over Abraham uh, and he says to him, this is why, Abraham, I've taken a hold of your life. This is why I've taken a hold of you. And he says, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. Once you catch a glimpse of him, you will be undone. And then the question becomes, how will you respond? And then will you go? If you've caught a glimpse of him, Abraham did and his response uh, was yes. And he leaves everything he knows uh, and he follows. I think what I love about Abraham is he's like a prototype uh, of the Christian life. God reveals himself uh, to him. God calls him. God gives him this crazy, awesome promise. Uh, and he asks Abraham to go. Abraham says yes to God, responds in obedience, and walks by faith, trusting and believing uh, God and getting it right sometimes but not necessarily every time 
He does face obstacles and challenges, uh, but he journeys with God. He chooses to journey with God uh, through uh, the thick and thin. The beautiful thing about Abraham is his heart. And you'll notice with Abraham, he isn't perfect. And he does mess up a lot. But in those crazy moments, in those moments where he doesn't understand, where things don't make sense, he always chooses God. He always chooses God. And he always chooses to trust God. And he chooses to worship. And he chooses to continue to say yes to God through the journey. So there is a lot. There is so much we can learn from Abraham and how he lived and how he responds uh, to God. But also we can learn a lot uh, from Lot uh, in these chapters. So Abraham was 75 years old. God calls him. Abraham believes and acts. And we know that believing is not enough. We have to act uh, on the word of God. So he sets out with his family and with Lot. He travels all the way down to Canaan, uh, to the great tree of Moriah. While there, the Lord appears to him and makes him another promise. As in Abraham, to you this, uh, and your offspring, uh, I'll give this land. You know, I believe when uh, we do step out in faith, when we do step out in obedience, that God is very quick uh, to encounter us and to encourage us uh, as he did with Abraham over there, or Abraham. Um, so as Abraham's coming down from uh, this high of being encouraged by God, of, of course a famine hits the land, and uh, we see Abraham head down to Egypt, where, well, we see him do a few things that are probably not all above board, um, and he manages to dodge uh, a couple of problems, and then leaves Egypt and, and heads back to the Negev. And, uh, you know, God was with uh, Abram through that whole process, um, and he comes out a little richer than he was uh, before he got there uh, in the first place. So at this point in chapter 13, the word sort of uh, tells us that Abraham and Lot had become pretty wealthy guys, and um, with all that wealth and all that stuff comes a few problems, right? Uh, they had so much wealth that their flocks and their tents and their, uh, and their men, the land itself couldn't contain that, um, which I think is just it's a phenomenal problem to have, right? It's like I have so much that the land cannot contain. I cannot contain uh, the blessings of God. Uh, so Abraham says to, so as these problems arise, Abraham says to Lot, you know, uh, we're family, let's not quarrel. Um, you, uh, let's part ways and you choose uh, whichever land you want and I'll go the other way. So if we look here at what Lot did, um, Lot's response was he then looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan uh, towards Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord. And something sticks out to me a little bit here about, about Lot. Uh, Lot didn't seek God. He didn't consult God on where he should go and what land uh, he should take. He used his eyes. He used his eyes and he said, oh, how beautiful is that piece of land down there? It looks really good, right? So he used his eyes um, and he made his choice. And we know that sometimes the choice that looks best 
may not always be the choice that God has for us. Um, I think I shared with you guys uh, years ago uh, in South Africa, I was living in a city and I really felt God telling me to move to another city. So God was in this process of, of, of talking to me and setting things up so I could move to the city. Uh, it definitely was a, 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 a step down uh, and in terms of I had a good job, uh, I, I was pretty comfortable and he was telling me to go and to go there were, there were consequences and there was definitely a downsizing of my life. I had to get rid of my big truck and, and buy a little, uh, a little car which was more affordable. Anyway, in that process, I was approached by a, ra a rather large firm uh, in South Africa that uh, recognized, what I was uh, recognized me in the business field and said to me, why don't you come work for us? We want you to run a certain territory in South Africa. And they were a big, uh, I was in their sort of agriculture engineering business, so it was all about pipes and things. And that was an upgrade for me. You know, that would have meant a bigger truck, right? It would have meant uh, more of what we consider the things of success. But at that time, God was really saying, that's not what, what I have for you, but this is what I have for you. And I think that's just an example where something sometimes can look good, and, uh, and, and, but that's not what the Spirit of God is telling us to do in our hearts. Um, so anyway, so uh, a lot leaves. Um, and if Abraham was a little like me, uh, he would maybe like, I don't know if that was the right choice, you know. Or maybe, maybe he didn't. But either way, what does God do? God encourages him again. And he says, Abraham, look around from where you are. To the north and south, to the east, the west, all the land that you see I'll give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mimra at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and again he builds an altar to the Lord. So awesome. All right. We're all caught up. We're at chapter 14. Uh, let me just say the second part of chapter 14 uh, has some real deep uh, theology uh, that I will not be weighing out this morning, uh, but I'm going to stick to, uh, to the theme of, of sort of observing uh, Abraham's heart through these processes. So the chapter starts off by telling us that Abraham, uh, coming, uh, returning from Egypt to the Negev, that war broke out uh, in the region, and there seems like there were four kings, uh, King Amraphel of Babylonia and three other kings that I think sort of ran the show. Um, and they were sort of uh, uh, lording over some smaller territories and some smaller kings. And these smaller territory kings were subject to these four kings. Um, and the Bible says that they were subject to these kings for about 12 years. And in the 13th year, these smaller territory kings just said, we've had it. We've had enough of these guys. We're going to rebel. So the word got to the four kings and they, they heard about this rebellion and they said, look, man, we... Uh, we can't let these guys go unchecked. We're going to go and sort them out. So in the 14th year, so it tells, tells us that it took them a year to get there, but they eventually got there to go sort out these uh, rebellious uh, smaller territories. So these smaller territories got together and said, we're going to resist these guys. We're going to fight. It's better to fight than just lay down. So they got up, got together, and they fought these four kings. 
It was a mistake. They were sorely beaten and they fled for the mountains. And the word says that some of them uh, actually fell into tar pits that were in the valley. So, bad mistake. And then these four kings, these invading kings, went on to Sodom and Gomorrah and plundered uh, and captured Lot uh, in the process. Um, and Lot seems like he was now, the Bible says he was now living in Sodom. And the last time we saw Lot, he was living in the plains, right? And now all of a sudden he's living in Sodom. And that's for another day. As it happens, uh, in this process, one of Lot's men's managed to escape. He gets the word back to Abraham, or Abraham. And uh, Abraham immediately gathers 318 trained men that were born into his family. These are Abraham's closest friends and family. And he gathers them to risk their lives to go and rescue Lot. And we know what Hugh said a couple of weeks ago uh, about Lot when he was sort of negotiating this uh, settlement with, uh, with Abraham and just sort of his uh, ingratitude at the time uh, towards Abraham. And Abraham we see displayed just such a different heart, but, but Lot just had that, that ingratitude. And um, so Abraham's men set off, they chased uh, these, uh, these invading armies down, caught up with them, and then with great military um, strategy, attacked them at night uh, and invaded these armies, and these armies ran for their lives. Abraham's men chased after them uh, as far as they could until they had recovered everything that was taken, including Lot and all his possessions. If that's not a miracle, then I don't know what is. That's... Uh, God was uh, working on Abraham's behalf and gave him uh, a good victory. Obviously, this conferred a public benefit in that part of the territory. And Abraham, on his return, was treated with high respect and consideration, particularly by the king of Sodom and the king of, of Salem, Melchizedek, who the Bible says was also a priest of God Most High. Melchizedek, Melchizedek seems to have been one of the few kings, if not the only one, who knew and worshipped the God Most High, who Abraham served. Melchizedek brings Abraham some bread and wine and blesses him, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies. Abraham responds, and here we see a display of his heart again. First thing, he acknowledges God first. First thing he does, he acknowledges God. How? By giving. Here is evidence of Abraham's piety, for it was to a priest or official mediator between God and Abraham. He gave a tenth of the spoil, a token of his gratitude uh, and in honor of a divine ordinance. Secondly, he treats the king of Sodom with great generosity, unknown in that part of the world. According to war customs, Abraham could keep the spoils, uh, which uh, was admitted by the king of Sodom and said, you know, that he could have that. Uh, and thirdly, Abraham makes a declaration uh, that he trusts God alone and he wouldn't take anything from the king of Sodom. So he declares that he trusts in God alone. <clears throat> for his provision. In Proverbs 3.9 it says, just to elaborate on that point, 
Honor the Lord your God with your wealth. Honor the Lord your God with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. I love that promise. I love that promise. We can honor God. We can recognize Him by bringing the first fruit of our crops. And we can declare with our hearts, Lord, thank you for this fruit. I recognize your faithfulness and I recognize your provision. I thank you for the fertile soil and the strength in my hands to work the land. I thank you, Lord, for the seed you have provided. I thank you, Lord, for the sun and I thank you, Lord, for the rain that has brought this crop up. This is a simple act of acknowledging the good of, that, that God is good and all good things come from God. And we can see here, God's response, immediately, He turns around and says, your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. What a beautiful promise that is. You see, when we get born again, we are transferred from this world into God's kingdom. And we become citizens of God's kingdom. Right? The kingdom has different laws and different promises in this world. And in God's kingdom, we must give to receive. In Luke 6.38, it says, Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured out into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. And in Galatians 6, it says, A man reaps what he sows. Money is a big deal in the kingdom. For how we steward it exposes where our treasure is. For us to grow and for us to mature and for us to be blessed, we have to, we have to continually align our lives with God's kingdom and His word because it is the road to life. Abraham and Lot lived their lives very differently. In Abraham, we see him reflecting the one he loved by the way he lived. Lot chose to go his own way, seeking his own interests over the promises of God to bless men through Abraham. And as a result of his self-seeking, Lot had to face the consequences of those decisions. Rather than peace and prosperity, he found slavery and shame. At the point where Lot was able to do nothing to correct his errors or to free himself from bondage, Abraham, at great personal risk, won a victory and won his release. Saving Lot was the sole reason for Abraham, for Abraham's daring rescue. In spite of Lot's disregard for Abraham, Abraham rescued him from the consequences of his decisions and his sin. So in closing this morning, the Bible says in Isaiah 53 verse 6, it says, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. In Romans 3.23 it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the good news is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us from our sins 
and our choices. The consequences and the penalty of sins were suffered by Jesus uh, on the cross.